You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. I invite you now to take your Bibles. We're going to begin our Bible reading at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll begin with Hebrews 10 verse 1 and our text is taken from the verses 19 to 25. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? But the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. And then follows our text. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, this building is rather full this afternoon. And that, in a manner of speaking, is rather fitting because our plate is rather full as well. 
Together we have come here to worship our God and as well to, to witness the administration of the sacrament of holy baptism being administered to what I believe are the first set of twins born in this congregation and also to witness the public profession of faith of 11 young people. Truly, you can say, it is celebration time. And that's good. After all, it's been a difficult week for many of you. Two funerals in one week makes for a lot of sorrow and sadness. Two trips to the cemetery makes for a lot of grim reflection on the nature of this life. But thankfully, our week did not keep going that way. Two funerals were followed by two weddings, and we could rejoice with them. And so there have been tears of sadness and gladness all in one week. And now we have reason for more tears, but this time tears of joy. For truly it is a blessed thing to have both baptism and public profession of faith together in one worship service. I know, I know it would have been easier for the crowd control if we'd kept things separate. But do you realize that in actual fact this sacrament and this event of profession belong together? They, as it were, form a unity. For look, when we were baptized in to the name of the triune God, God came to us, as we've seen and witnessed. And to that covenant God, the Father promises to adopt them and care for them as his children and heirs. And through that covenant God, the Son promises to wash them from their sins and to unite them in his saving and redeeming work. And through that covenant, God the Holy Spirit promises to live in them and to make them new and eternal members of Christ. Oh, you can say how great and glorious, how rich and powerful is the salvation that God promises to us and to our children. At the same time, however, these are not automatic Promises. No, they are covenant promises, which means that they call in due time for a believing response in the lives of their recipients. Yes, and that is what we see now with these 11 young people seated before us here this afternoon. Their profession of faith is a believing response to their baptism. They are giving their yes to the triune God. They are expressing that it is their desire to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to trust Him, to love Him with heart, soul, and mind, and with all their strength. They are doing all of that and more when they answer the questions that we have in the form for public profession of faith. And now that's quite something. And indeed we may even be saying to ourselves, this really is too much for any one person. 
How can anyone truly answer all of these questions in the affirmative and keep them? Is that not asking the impossible? Yes, in a way it is. This is impossible. But you know, what is so often impossible with man is possible with God. With God beside them. With God to help them. With God to strengthen them every day. They can keep these promises. For truly he will go with them. And he will give them what they need. His spirit and his word will accompany them through this life. Yes, and I dare say, beloved, that is evident in many places in Holy Scripture. In the Word of God, we find many words of encouragement. It's filled with stimulation and exhortation. And as an example of that, we turn to our text of this afternoon, and I preach to you on the following theme. Hebrews issues a call for us to persevere in our profession. And you can see from your text that it invites us to draw near boldly, to hold on unswervingly, to motivate constantly, and to gather faithfully. Well, beloved, when you read the words of our text of this afternoon, there are two things that should catch your attention. And the first thing is that there is that word, therefore, at the very beginning. And it should tell you that the letter or the writer of this letter is is coming to a conclusion. He is, as it were, bringing his message to a climax. He has said a lot in the previous nine chapters, and and now he wants to drive home the, the implications of his message. And the second thing that you should note from our text is that it contains a refrain. And what is the refrain? Well, you find it in the verses 22, 23, 24, 25. Maybe you see it. The refrain is, Let us, let us draw near, let us hold unswervingly, let us consider how, let us not give up, let us encourage one another. Obviously the writer, whoever that may be, wants to light a fire under these believers. He wants to encourage them. He wants to prod them. He wants to ignite them. Yes, and it all begins with verse 22. Where he says, let us draw near to God. But draw near how? How does one draw near to God? Well, if you look... Four things are mentioned in this passage. First, we are to draw near to God, it says, with a sincere heart. You know, way back in Jeremiah 31, verse 33, God promised one day to give his children a new heart, a true heart, 
a sincere heart, a heart full of honesty and a brightness. Quite simply, God promises to make us into new human beings and to transform us from the inside out. You know, when we have a problem, we so often spend a lot of time and effort majoring in the minors and on the secondary things, but God doesn't do that. God goes literally to the heart of the matter. He goes to work where it really and truly counts. In the human heart. In the very center of our existence. So we are to draw near to God, it says in our text, sincerely. But notice it also as we are to do it confidently. We are to draw near to God with a sincere heart, it says, in full assurance of faith. In other words, we're not to do it riddled with all kinds of doubts and uncertainties and maybes and mights. No, boldly and full of conviction. We are to approach the Lord. We are to have hearts that are certain. And full of assurance. And something else as well, we are also to have hearts that are clean. Hebrews goes on, let us draw near to God having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. You see, sincere heart, confident hearts, and now clean hearts. Things are not necessarily getting any easier, are they? Who of us does not have something or other weighing down on our hearts? There are those things that we did that we shouldn't have done. There are the things that we should have done that we neglected to do. So often the things that we did wrong and the things that we failed to do in this life come back to haunt us. And I addressed some of that on Thursday as well. How many people do not feel guilty because deep down they sense that they they were, for example, not there for George Beistervelt as they should have been. And that happens more often. We go through life frequently with burdened and guilty hearts. But that's not the kind of heart that God wants to draw near to Him. He wants sincere hearts, He wants confident hearts, He wants clean hearts, and He wants, it says, washed hearts. Hebrews says, let us draw near to God, having our bodies washed with pure water. Well, there you have a reference to baptism. Symbolically, the water of baptism scrubs and washes and purifies us. It's supposed to get rid of all the grime and the spots and the stains and the dirt. It's supposed to wash our hearts 
in our bodies and make them crystal clean. And so, beloved, sincere hearts, confident hearts, clean hearts, washed hearts, that's what we need to draw near to God. But that, of course, raises the question, how in the world do we ever do that? How shall these 11 young people ever accomplish that? How shall these two babies ever manage that later on in life? My beloved, there's only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. Christ makes a way. Christ opens the doors. Christ is the ultimate transformer of human hearts. Hebrews says that it is the blood of Jesus that does all of this. It's a fact that we have a great high priest over the house of God that accomplishes this. It's the person and the work of the mediator of the new covenant that achieves so great a redemption. In other words, it's not up to us or in us to do all of this. Often we think so. The world is full of religious do-it-yourselfers with people who think that they can draw near to God on the basis of their own supposedly respectable lives. Ask the man or the woman on the street whether or not they think they are going to heaven and they will give you the look that challenges your sanity. And often they will add, of course, I've been good. I live an honest life. Never mind that they never think of God, never worship Him. Never mind that they blaspheme his name. Never mind that they live together with their lady friend. Never mind that they get smashed every weekend. Never mind. So many people think they can build a ladder to God on the basis of their own corrupt, sin-stained religious performance. We can do it. Who needs Christ? Well, beloved, we all need Christ. We need Him to change our hearts, to fill them with boldness, to cleanse them, to wash them through the power of His Spirit. And these young people need Him. And indeed, that is what their profession is all about. It's about Jesus Christ and His glorious, perfect, priestly work. Yes, and these babies, they need Him too. Of course, they're cute and they're adorable. But 
I don't think they're as innocent as they look. And I suspect that Rob and Marnie have already discovered that these babies have a will of their own and that these wills are not always as easy to mold and to shape as we think. If they haven't discovered it yet, they'll discover it soon enough. In short, beloved, none of us are able to draw near to God without Christ. That's what our text is telling us. And that, beloved, applies to everything else in the Christian life as well. Our text continues in verse 23 with the words, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. You know, living the Christian life requires a renewed heart. But it also requires a lot of something else. We saw that again last week, didn't we? We need hope to live. We need hope to deal with what life sends us. We need hope to go on. We need hope if there's going to be a bounce in our steps again and a smile upon our faces. And then, of course, I'm not just speaking about what is commonly meant by the word hope. People all around us sprinkle their language with the word hope. I I hope to win the lottery. I hope to live a long life. I hope to find the love of my life. When, however, you step back and you analyze these hopes, there are several things that have to strike you. First of all, they have no real basis. And secondly, they deal only with this, with this life. In short, the world's hopes are poor and pathetic. And compare that to the Christian hope. And what do you see? First you see from Scripture that this hope is based and built and anchored on something. It is founded on the perfect and the complete redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And second, it's not just something that encompasses this life only. It's filled with the future life as well. It's filled with the knowledge that you are a child of God, not simply today, but forever. And it's brimming over with the certainty that a new and better and unimaginable home awaits you. It's packed with the assurance that Christ will come again to fetch you and to fellowship with you. To heal you. And ultimately to glorify you. Truly the Christian life is filled with hope. And I would urge you all to hang on to this hope every day. Hold on to it, you young people. Hold on to it, you parents. And teach your children to do the same. 
Hold on to it not in your own strengths, but looking to God, who's ever so faithful. He promised it. And he does not forget it. Yes, and as we're doing that, as you're holding on to this hope without swerving and doubting and compromising, remember something else. Remember what? Remember your fellow believers. Hebrews again, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good works. You sometimes have the impression that the Christian faith is private, solitary. There are people who believe that. There are those who call themselves Christians who want nothing whatsoever to do with other Christians. Perhaps they're shy. Maybe they've been hurt somewhere along the way. It can also be that they're proud. Or maybe just, maybe their theology is all wrong. For how can you read the scriptures and come away with the impression that the Christian faith is private and insular? For it is not. Oh yes, it's personal. No one else can believe for you. You're not going to get into heaven on the coattails of your believing friends or on the coattails of your believing parents. Each of us needs to have a personal relationship with the triune God, with our covenant God. And surely both the forms of baptism and public profession of faith make that crystal clear. The Christian faith is personal, But it's also something else. It's very much corporate. It's all about the body. It's all about body life. That's what Hebrews makes clear here and in other places. You you read that in the letters of Paul and Peter and John. And you hear it from the mouths of the Lord Jesus Christ himself who says that he's come to save his people. He's come to redeem his flock. He's come to die for his sheep. And this, beloved, had all sorts of implications. Because we all belong to the one body, we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to speak the truth to one another in love. We are to forgive one another's sins. We are to be devoted to one another, to honor one another, to live in harmony with one another. To accept one another. To serve one another in love. To be patient with one another. To be kind, compassionate with one another. 
You know, the New Testament list goes on and on and on. Yes, and here in Hebrews we are told that we are to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Notice it says love and good deeds. It doesn't say we are to spur one another on to jealousy, suspicion, harshness, self-righteousness, hate, or evil deeds. Unfortunately, that is sometimes what happens. Instead of being a positive influence on the life of somebody else, we're a negative influence. Instead of building them up, we break them down. Instead of encouraging them, we discourage them. Well, Hebrews offers a corrective to poisonous people. And it calls on us to motivate our fellow believers in the right and positive way. And we all need to heed that. Take it to heart. You young people make it your aim to contribute to the body of Christ in a constructive, positive, and a building manner. And you parents make it your aim to nurture your children in such a way that they do not grow up in a house filled with criticism and condemnation but in a house full of neighborly love and care. And so what do we have thus far? We are to persevere in drawing near to God through Christ. We are to hold on to our hopes steadfastly. And we are to encourage our fellow believers constantly. And that just about says it all, does it not? What more is there to add? Well, Hebrew says just one more word. And it's this. Do not forget to persevere in worship, in corporate and communal worship. Of course, there is personal worship. There is family worship. But here Hebrews speaks of worshipping together as believers. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It would appear that some of the first recipients of this letter were in the habit of no longer coming together with the saints to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. That may have been due to a fear of persecution by the Roman authorities. It may also have been due to a less than committed heart. It may also have been because of a proud heart. A heart that says to itself, who needs this? I can choose for myself when I shall go or not go, when to worship with the believers or not to worship with them. Whatever the case may have been, whatever scenario you reconstruct, the warning is clear. Let us not give up meeting together. 
As we need Christ to draw near to God, as we need to hold on to our hope, and as we need to keep on spurring one another on, so we need to keep on worshiping faithfully. And that, beloved, is both an ancient word and a modern word. We live in a day and age where corporate worship is under attack from within and without. Those within often cannot decide on its shape, form, or content, let alone its music. Those without mark its very existence a necessity. And the result? Corporate worship services become fewer. Its contents become shallower and more consumer-driven. And in many parts of the Western world, corporate worship is dying. It has become the preserve of bald heads and gray heads. And so there's this huge challenge today. It's the challenge not to give up. Not to surrender to convenience. Not to concede to the critics and the spirits of the age. It's the challenge to meet together. And so to encourage one another. And to encourage one another, Hebrews says, because a new day is coming. A great day is coming. The day of Christ reappearing is coming. And may that day not find any of you discouraged or astray or missing because you could not be bothered to meet together. Young people encourage one another to worship, encourage one another in worship. And parents teach your children to be faithful worshipers. And together let all of us call on the Lord without ceasing. And let us help one another to persevere in the profession of our most precious and priceless faith. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.